0: This is Queer Histories, Queer Futures, presented by Last Call, a podcast about queer resistance in New Orleans and the people behind the movement. I'm Free for All. And I'm Lane Kathleen Levinson. Hey, Lane. Hey, Free. Um, how long did it take you to find a queer community? That's a really good question. Uh, many years after I knew I was gay, Mm. um, I would say for a, a variety of reasons, um, there was like almost a decade between coming out, having, having girlfriends, dating women, and, um... Starting to actually intentionally surround myself by more queer people. Mm. I think that that could be, you know, in some part not totally understanding my sexual and gender identity and that having me live in multiple spaces and feeling comfortable in um, hetero. Normative spaces and heterosexual spaces and in some part, you know, internalized homophobia, mm. um, in some part, not wanting to sequester myself into one type of homogeny, mm. um, a, a whole bunch of things. But it got to the point, actually, when I was in my mid-20s and I was really missing, I was really felt like I was lacking having a queer community. And I actually remember the the day I made a New Year's resolution mm. to, you know, make more queer friends, wow. even though I had been so gay for so long. I was going to say that's the gayest thing I've heard. <laughs> like, like actually writing down, make more <laughs> queer friends. In your journal, right? In my journal. Yeah. In my little journal. In my little gay journal. With a little cup of tea. <laughs> right. I can picture the scene. Yeah. It happened. Yeah. It happened. Um, And I would say like most things that actually do take intentionality it's it's made a difference over the past few years Mm. and I haven't cut myself off from people that are not queer um, but I definitely have felt the difference of what it's like to be in a predominantly queer space Mm -hmm. and how good and affirming that feels Um, and I think for some people it's the opposite that happens. Mm. Um, you know, we're going to hear an episode today about someone named Mary Caps who kind of didn't totally realize they were gay until they were surrounded by a bunch of gay people and they were like, oh, that's what I am. Right, <laughs> right, despite all the signals. Despite all the signals. Um, and you made this piece. Right? Yes, yes. So I had the pleasure of producing this This episode and getting to know Mary uh, through an oral history that was conducted by Aaron Roussel, uh, a last call um, hero. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And um, yeah, this is this story is kind of all about Mary and Mary's partner and their kind of quest to uh, understand themselves um, and the help of seeing examples of what identities can uh, look like, so and how to and how to um, understand your own identity. Here's Mary.
1: My name's Mary Capps, and um, I'm 77 years old. I was born in 1940. Grew up uh, in the New Orleans vicinity. I always say I'm from New Orleans because, even though I grew up in Jefferson Parish. I don't want to be from Jefferson Parish, so I'm from New Orleans. (laughs) When I was growing up, queers were referred to in very nasty ways, and it was like this combination of sinful, evil, dirty. So the only references I heard to queer people were derogatory references. In many ways, I think I was fortunate not to identify as lesbian or queer in any way until early adulthood. Uh, Because my friends who knew at very young ages really went through hell uh, in their daily lives with their families, some of them, their families, rejected them, threw them out. Some of them got put in mental institutions, were given shock treatments, and uh, terrible things happened to them. Some of them attempted suicide, so it was a very hard life. I didn't really think about it, but of course the dating started, and I went out with guys, and I'd have boyfriends until I got tired of them and then I'd dump them and like that. And I went out with some very nice guys uh, and I went out with some real jerks. But I never made an emotional, a really deep connection with any of them. And it always, always surprised me if any of them declared love for me. And it scared the hell out of me because I just didn't even recognize it and didn't ever return those feelings, so that could be awkward, and was. So, it wasn't until I was in graduate school, and I became really great friends with uh, Virginia, who was the departmental secretary, three years older than me, and uh, single, and she hung out with graduate students. We all party together. After a while, there'd be many nights I'd stay at Virginia's apartment. And one night, we just started kind of fooling around, as it were, and suddenly became lovers. And that went on for some time. I remember asking Virginia one night, Virginia, do you think we're lesbians? she said, I don't know, but we're acting like it. I must have been about 26 then. I met Virginia when I was 23. And so two or three years later, 25, 26, sometime, um, we started this uh, exciting affair. Then I took a job in Canada at a Canadian university, and after several months, Virginia was having a a hard time with some things, and uh, I said, Virginia, you need a break. Just come on up here. Stay a while. Just quit your job and come on. So she did, and we started our Canadian adventure together. But still, we weren't out. We knew other lesbians, but we didn't know they were lesbians. So it was this kind of, we weren't trying to be closeted. We just didn't know anybody to come out to or with or have any sense of that there was a larger community of lesbians. The oppression against queer people was so total that it was hard to find each other and we experienced that first in New Orleans and then in this town in Canada where I was living near Toronto. So the situation just kind of went like that and it was just the late 60s. Oh yeah, a group of women on campus asked me to be the faculty advisor to a, a, a women's organization, women's club, which I was, and after a while they got a grant to run a women's center and Virginia and I started hanging out with all these young women at the Women's Center when we weren't uh, doing other things, like working and so on. Virginia got some work with some of the professors at the university. And, and uh, we had a nice little life going, but we still didn't know any other lesbians. Until one night we decided we would give this party at our apartment. And we had this huge party. And all kinds of people came. Some we knew, some we didn't. Mostly women, but some guys came. Um, And when it ended, there seemed to be a couple of women who were left at the apartment after everyone else went home. And so they were curious about lesbianism and the four of us sat and talked and hung out together did some embracing and just hung out and after that we got to know a couple of women who were lesbian so that was cool Then got a postdoctoral fellowship to go to England and Wales to study the 1926 general strike, which was a really important major labor action in Great Britain. Coincidentally, a guy we knew in New Orleans, was, who worked for the Port of New Orleans, was asked by the port if he wanted to go to open a London office for them, and he said yes. And he called Virginia and asked her if she wanted to be a secretary in London, and she said yes. And so we all trooped off to London, which is our base. But the year I went there, the, the, my department, Sociology and Anthropology, had, been, had ten people in it, and the year I went they hired ten more. So now we're a department of 20. I was hired in that new 10. I was the only woman. So my first faculty meeting, this is the department chairman, says, Mary, would you take some minutes? And I said, no. He said, what? Everybody's kind of went, why what did she say? Did she say no? I said, no, thank you. And he's just like flabbergasted. He's just looking at me. He said, oh, blah, uh, blah. Bu- and I said, well, we really, I think you are probably asking me because I'm the only woman in the room. Oh, no, no, I'm asking you because I want you to feel welcome as a new faculty member. And I said, well, there are nine other new faculty members here, and I'm sure one of them would love to do it. The first national... Women's Conference was held in Great Britain. The meeting was called together by the socialist groups. And a whole lot of women, we started talking to each other, we decided we were gonna go. So a lot of women from the different women's workshop groups decided to go. The group of lesbians that we have been meeting with in London decided to go. And uh, so we all go, and it was held in Scotland at a miners' vacation resort, um, which the miners' union owned, and uh, miners could could go there. And we got there, and the damn socialists had written all these papers uh, about women. And women in the movement, the male socialists had written these papers, and they wanted all these women to sit and listen while they read us these papers. And we're looking around and we're going, "What is this bullshit?" Virginia suggests that we walk out, so we walked out, and uh, but along the way, we just tell women of these different We were in like an auditorium, "Come on, let's go talk outside. We don't want to listen to these men. It's all Let's figure out what we want to do. So we end up with most of the pe- women who they are there are outside, and these damn socialist men are still sitting on a stage, reading their papers. And um, everyone quickly agrees that we're not going to listen to them. And since there's a hell of a lot more of us, than so there are all of them, they have to go and give us the auditorium so we go back in, and of course some women just walk up on the stage and grab the mics and everything and the guys start fighting and the women quell them and it was just hilarious passing men over the heads of women. You know, throwing them off the stage, women passing them over their heads through the back behind all of the women and dumping them on the floor and telling them to get out. And um, it was really cruel cool because they had already paid for the place and done all this. So, you know, we have a nice few days ahead of ourselves. So then there's this discussion about what we're going to do, and the group of lesbians we had been meeting with says we need to organize together and we need to address things among ourselves including race, class, sexuality (laughs) you know some of the women are so people are uh, discussing that everyone gets turned on by the sexuality thing so they decided, let's, let's uh, break up into smaller groups and talk about some of these things. <laughs> and Virginia and I stick together and we were in this small group, I don't know, about 20 women. And somebody in our group says, oh, it's just too bad we didn't get a lesbian in our group. And I said, how do you know? She looks around. She says, what? I said, well, how do you know there's no lesbians in here? Maybe there are. And if I start looking around. It was just hilarious. And so finally, somebody says, well, um, are there any lesbians in this group? And Virginia said, yeah. And I said, yeah. We got We so all this time, though, Virginia and I are still not meeting lesbians, nothing's really going on. And then we travel. We, we decided we wanted to go to Denmark for some reason, and Copenhagen. And we made a stop on the way in Amsterdam and talked with uh, some feminists in, in Amsterdam. And it was okay, but... Nothing much. Then we went to Copenhagen, and we arrived in Copenhagen right after the feminist Danish feminist had held a women's camp on one of the Danish islands, and I gather it was somewhat like the experience in the very early days that women had going to the Michigan Women's Music Festival. These women arrived, there were women everywhere, no men. So immediately people, summertime, people start taking off their shirts, their bathing suits, their whatever they're camping, they're singing, they're drinking, they're smoking dope, whatever they're doing, I don't know, I wasn't there, I (laughs) might be imagining things, but they had this encampment for a couple weeks, or maybe a month, I don't know, and (laughs) they came back energized and elated, and almost immediately took over some buildings in Copenhagen that were government buildings. They belonged to the Ministry of Education, I think, but nobody was using them. So they took them over. And we got to Copenhagen, and we were looking for a place to stay, and I don't know how we heard about this place, but we did. And we went there and moved in. And stayed there for a few days and then a woman we had met invited us to come come stay at her apartment, which was really cool because sleeping on the floor was getting a little tired and hard and and it was kind of crowded and all that so we went to this woman Jennifer Clark's house she was from England and she had uh, years before she knew she was a lesbian, she went on a trip looking for, to meet lesbians and met a lesbian from Denmark on the island of Sappho, Lesbo rather and followed her back to Denmark and the relationship didn't go any place but she loved Denmark and she settled there and they have been there I don't know how long where we met her. So we, we went there a lot of the women we met in Denmark were lesbians or were by. At which point, Virginia and I looked at each other and said, yes, we are lesbians. We know this for sure. And until then, it was kind of this, well, if the two of us broke up, eh, maybe we'd date men, maybe we'd date women, who knows? We can hardly date women if we don't know any who indicate that they're lesbian or interested in it or, whatever so so that went well
0: Mary Caps has been an anti-racist, social justice, lesbian, feminist activist for 50 years or so, mostly in New Orleans, as you can tell from how she bopped around the world mm-hmm. in that story. She and her current partner, Alda Talley, are the godmothers of this entire project. When we were first getting started in our Dyke Bar research, they shared their stories and their vast network so generously. Uh, We love you, Mary and Alda, and thanks for making all this possible. Yeah, thanks, fairy godmothers. (laughs) Fairy godmothers. We've got one more episode coming up, so stay tuned. And remember, these are evergreen, as we say. These episodes will and can live on forever, so uh, you can still rate and review the podcast and share it with your people. Um, We'll see you next week. Here are the credits. This project was created in partnership with the New Orleans LGBT Center and Alternate Roots through an Alternate Roots Partners in Action grant and through a network of Ensemble Theater's Net10 Exchange grant. Additional funding from the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Foundation. Last Call is fiscally sponsored by the National Performance Network. Uh, Love you, Free. I love you, Lane. And you know, dear listener, we love you too. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening. We only have one message to leave you with. And that is, until next time,
1: stay stay gay. gay.